right. Are you excited to be here? Yes. yes? Anybody disappointed from the game last, games last night? <laughs> Just got to get that out of the way first. All right, you know? Especially that first one. If you weren't on the... I, you know what? I have a confession to make. I, I watched the March Madness. I watched the last five minutes of the first game. Because that's all it's worth watching, isn't it? It's always going to come down to that last five minutes, you know? And that takes a half hour to play, the last five minutes. I mean, it takes so much long. But, you know, what, what incredible games, uh, amazing. And, you know, we go up and down sometimes with the, the wins and the losses of our teams, especially, um, I feel for you, Steph, this morning, you know, with Auburn's loss last night. I was rooting for them, you know. Charles almost cried in a set, you know. I mean, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty amazing, you know, just... The run that they had, and uh, and Lynn and I were both rooting for Auburn, but um, unfortunately that didn't that didn't come about last night. But you know what? Um, I think of myself with sports, and I can be crazy sometimes with sports. You know, you can you can go to the highs and lows with sports sometimes, can't we? And you know what? I I get convicted. Not that we can't enjoy sports. Please don't hear me wrong this morning. But I get convicted about it more so in the last five or six years of my life because my emotions can run so deep. I don't even root for any of those teams, but I can root for one of those teams to win and I can feel deeply the loss. Do I feel that same way about the people around me who step into eternity without knowing Jesus? Do I feel that deeply about the people around me that are trying to figure out life and are struggling and just can't, can't quite figure this out and they, <clears throat> they don't really, they, they go like, what's, what's this life all about? And maybe we try to talk to them about what a relationship with Jesus looks like and, and how they can understand what a relationship with Jesus looks like. But they, it just seems like there's a veil there. They just can't get through. And, and yet at the same time, do I, do I, do I feel as deeply about their position with God as I feel deeply about when a team I was rooting for loses or a team that I was rooting for wins. Do I have that same tug at my heart with joy or sadness that I do for the people around us? Because we live in a world where at least 75% of the people or more around you and I, every day, do not know the Jesus we came here to worship this morning. And they don't know the comfort that God brings. They don't know the joy that God brings. They don't know the peace that God brings. They don't know the love that God brings. They don't know the forgiveness that God brings. The removal of guilt that God brings into our lives each day. And we know that. So we've got something that needs to come out of our lives, that needs to be shared with those, that needs to be lived out in our lives each and every day as we live in this world. That's why you and I are still here. You know, none of us are here by coincidence this morning even as we gather together here at, at the, this, this facility that, that God has provided for Streamsong. Uh, none of us are here by accident. God has brought each one of us here this morning, and he's brought me here, and he's brought you guys here, and despite the lengthy 
intro that Brian gave to me earlier, you know, I, I'm just Scott, okay, you know, and, and I got a privilege, it's just a privilege to be able to share God's word and to, and to look into God's word and to realize that in this series you've been doing on crossover is that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have crossed over from death to life. And in two Sundays, we're going to celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And, but that was the ultimate crossover. When God crossed over in our lives through Jesus. When Jesus died and it seemed like all was over. The disciples thought everything was lost. But they were missing the point that it was just getting started. It's the old adage that we've heard preachers say down through the years. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, and it's dark, and it's gloomy, but Sunday's coming. And so as we come to the text this morning, and we turn to um, Genesis chapter 21, uh, I told Brian, I said, you, you couldn't have picked a more challenging text for me to preach from. I, I've never even preached from this passage. In fact, my mentor, who is 88 years old, he's preached in 51 countries around the world. I was talking to him last week. I said, yeah. He said, where are you? he always asked me, where are you preaching, Scott? So I told him, I said, I'm preaching it church plant and stream song up here in Doylestown. And he said, ah, oh, that's great. What are you preaching on? And I told him the passage. He said, I've never preached on that in my whole life. <laughs> so it's a newbie for me and it's a newbie for him and it's a newbie for all of us probably here this morning. But I think God has some significant truths that he wants to share with us from his word. So, so let's, um, let's pray and ask God to teach us because he's the ultimate teacher as his Holy Spirit lives within us. He teaches us and may he teach us this morning from his word. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are here, you are at work in our lives, and you are guiding and directing us today. Father, I thank you for your word that you've given to us, and that you've put your word in writing so we can know your heart, so that we can know that you are at work, so we can know how much you love us and how much you care for us, so we can know that you are God, and that you so desire to work in our lives each and every day. So, Father, I come before you, and I, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege of joining with other believers. I thank you for this church stream song. I thank you for uh, just the people that you've brought here and how you're reaching into this community. And, Father, I ask that as stream song continues to impact this community, that we will just see much fruit come out of this ministry because they've taken the time to plant well. And, Father, we just thank you for how you are at work in our lives. Help us to see from Abraham's life how we need to live our lives today and how you want to work in and through us. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 21 beginning at verse 22. At the same time, at that time, I'm going to stop right there. Don't you love how Genesis does this? You know, he just comes along and, and, and the writing, well, at that time, at that time, well, we can say that about us today, can't we? At this time, I'm going to say, this is where God has you. At that time, this is where he had Abraham. And, and I love this. There, there's no detail given to this, but he says at that time, he begins with Abimelech. Do you remember Abimelech from anything in the past? Do you remember anything? I don't know who preached on it here at, at, at Streamsong, but Abimelech was just like a chapter and a half back. 
there was this uh, thing with Abimelech. Abimelech being a, a king and, and he saw Sarah and he wanted her as his wife. And, and so he, because Abraham said, it's my sister. Man, did you ever think about it? She must have been a good looking chick. I mean, she was 90 years old almost. Think about it. And this king says, hey, who is that? That's Abraham's sister. Hey, good. I'd like her to be my wife. There was something special about Sarah that Abimelech saw. Did you ever think about that? Yeah. You know, we put it in the context. We think she's, you know, late 20s, early 30s. No, 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 no. She's in her late 80s. She's about to have her first child at age 90. This is, this is the lady we're talking about. So Abimelech, and then he finds out, God says, you're a dead man in a dream. This guy had some sensitivity to spiritual things, didn't he? He said, you're a dead man. He goes, what, have, what I do? I'm innocent here. He goes, I know you're innocent. But he said, you have taken this other... So this is the, the situation we find ourselves in. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, why'd you lie to me? Well, I, I didn't, didn't really lie. You know, I just kind of, just kind of told you half the truth. You know, she really is the, my sister because she's a half sister. Our fathers are the same fathers, just had different mothers. So she's really a half sister. So I really didn't tell you a lie, but you didn't tell me the part that she was married to you. You know, which was a significant part of the whole statement. And to think he does this twice. You know, I mean, it's like, really, Abraham? Didn't you learn the first time? So we come up and we have this guy, Abimelech, showing up again. He's not called a king here. Did you see that? He's just called Abimelech. Abimelech, and he, and he brings with him who? He brings, brings with him his, uh, his commander. I want to call him Fickle, but I don't know that he was Fickle. <laughs> but we'll call him Fickle this morning. Fickle, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. I think we could just stop right there. Have you thought about that? God is with you in all you do. How did Abimelech know that? He must have been close enough to Abraham. He must have hung out with Abraham. In fact, it doesn't even tell us that Abimelech came. I think Abraham and Abimelech had a good relationship. I think they had a relationship that wasn't just the king over there that I'm living in his land and me over here, Abraham. I think they were on a first name basis. I think they had a relationship with them ever since the last history that they had back that we talked about. You know, there's a lot of white space in scripture that we don't, aren't filled in with all the details as to how it gets here. There's all this white space, and all of a sudden, you know, Abimelech, it doesn't say Abimelech arrived with his, with his commander, Fickle. It doesn't say that at all. It just says, Abimelech says to Abraham, it must have meant, maybe they were having dinner together. Maybe they were sitting down, they were, they were enjoying a meal together. And they were sitting there, they were, I think they were friends. And Fickle says, look what he says. He says, God is with you in all that you do. How did he know that? People don't understand. You don't get to know people that well unless you spend time with them. 
Think about what just happened. Abimelech, at, I mean, Abraham at age 100, Sarah at age 90, they just had a child. If that isn't a miracle, there aren't miracles, folks. I mean, they both said, you know, we're, we're both as good as dead. And we're having, a ba- we're having a baby. See this little baby back here? We're having a baby. You know? These guys don't look like they're as good as dead, even though they're up late at night. I know. They don't sleep real good sometimes. I get that. Been through that numerous times. I get that. But you know what? That's how they looked at Abraham. Abraham was dead. Sarah was dead. As far as having kids were, that wasn't even in the picture for them. That wasn't going to happen, you know, except a miracle takes place. So, so Abimelech's close enough that he can see what's happening in Abraham's life. And even though Abraham has been a, a sinner, Abraham has messed up, Abraham has, has, has made bad decisions, Abraham has lied, you know, at the same time, Abimelech is close enough to Abraham to say, something's different about you. He's not calling him perfect, but he's saying something's different about you. And I think for each and every one of us, we have to ask that hard question. You know, are people close enough to us who don't know Jesus that as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2, that we have the aroma of Jesus on our life that they can see. That they can look into our lives and they can say, something's different about you. You talk about God and, and I really see this God's with you. And, and I want to know something about that God. You see, I think that's one of the best ways to draw people to a relationship with Jesus Christ is to draw people to a relationship with me and with you. As we rub shoulders, like Jesus, what was Jesus criticized of? Jesus was criticized by the religious folks of being a friend of... Oh, come on, we can answer together here, can't we, this morning? He was a friend of what? Sinners. You don't become a friend of sinners unless you're hanging out with sinners. I think Abimelech and Abraham were hanging out with each other. That's why Abimelech could come and say, you know what? I see God's hand of blessing upon your life. I see this God that you talk about. He is really with you. I see him providing for you. I see him multiplying your family I, as far as your, your sheep and your goats and your, and your animals. And he's made you a wealthy man. We see that he's, he, you have all these servants and, and people who work for you. You're, you're becoming a, a mini subculture here within our, within our country. He goes, I see God's hand upon you. And now this miraculous baby that's come into your life. He goes, I see that this God is with you. And you know what? You know what Abimelech wants? He said, I want a little bit of that for myself. I want a little bit of that blessing on myself. And he says, so I've treated you really well, Abraham. Do you see he says that there? He says, now therefore, verse 23, swear to me by the God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. I find that kind of interesting. You won't deal falsely with me because he's already had false dealings with this guy. But he's saying, hey, can we make an agreement that you won't deal falsely with me? Or with my descendants, or with my posterity. It's like my children's 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 children. It's like, can we just make an agreement that we're gonna we're gonna have kindness between us? But as I have dealt with you kind, as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me, and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, "I swear to it." 
I'll do it. You know, the, the, the title of this in my, in my scriptures is called, you know, uh, it's a, a treaty or a covenant with Abimelech. There's like three treaties in here. There's like three agreements that are going on here. And the first one is simply this, you know. Abraham says, you know what, I'm going to treat you well. You know what, we need to treat people well who are different than us. We need to love them with the love of God. We need to step into their lives, even though we may disagree with them, even though we may have different values, even may, though we may worship in different ways, even though we may have different uh, thoughts about things that are going on in our world. We need to treat people around us, around us with love and kindness. That's how God wants us to treat people. You know, Scripture says we're to love God, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then what? Love your neighbor. Yeah, I saw it. Love your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Anyone that's in need, right? Love your neighbor. That's anyone that's in need around you. That's how Jesus defined who the neighbor was. And so here comes Abimelech. He says, hey, I I like what I'm seeing. He didn't say I'm going to come over and worship your God. He wasn't saying that. He goes, I just want an an agreement of loyalty between us. That that you're going to treat me in a right, fair way. And my kids... And my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, down to however many generations there are. Because he saw that Abraham truly walked with God. How about you and me? Is that how people see our life if they hang out with us? Are our lives representing Jesus so much that people are saying, there's something different about you. Oh, we're not perfect. No, none of us are perfect. There was only one perfect one. And they crucified him. Because he was too perfect. They couldn't handle it. But none of us are perfect, but at the same time, God wants us to make bridges into other people's lives. Brian knows I don't like sermon titles. I just don't like making sermon titles. I like sermon titles. I just am not good with it. But if I were to put a title to this today, I would call it simply this, Crossing Over by Building Bridges, Not Walls. Building bridges, not walls. We, for 11 years, served uh, bef- prior to, after, become, after being a pastor for 22 years, we 11 years served with a mission called Churches and Missions, where we would take churches on short-term mission trips in this country and around the world. And one of the places I loved to take groups was the, to Columbus, Ohio, to work with the inner city people, the people in the street of Columbus, Ohio. They have one of the largest homeless populations in the country. And uh, at last count that I was aware of, there was over 60 homeless camps in the city of Columbus, Ohio. Um, We got to go there and to work with the the homeless people. And the the man who ran it, Steve Campbell, uh, was a musician at heart. Uh, He ran this ministry for like 30 years. But he would teach us this little song, I am not going to bless you with my singing this morning, but I'm going to read the words of it to you. It is simply this. You can build a wall or you can build a bridge. It all depends upon the love you give. If you build a wall, your world is small. But a bridge of love will conquer all. And that's what God wants us to do into people's lives. He wants us to cross over. When we cross over and we become a follower of Jesus Christ, He wants us to be bridge builders, not wall builders. So often we get inside our churches, and that's what I love about your meeting in this Seniors Community Center, is people don't think of this as a church building. You know, you're in the community here. I love that. 
Because as we're in the community, people don't think of us as a church building. So there's not these walls that sort of protect us from the outside world, so to speak, because, oh, that's your church. But here, we're the church scattered. We're the church, the people of God. There's no walls around us. We can build walls in our lives. You can build walls in your marriage. You can build walls with your children or with your parents. That's just the way it happens. But you know what? God calls us to build bridges of love into people's lives around us. He doesn't call us to build bridges of love just to those that agree with us. He calls us to build bridges of love to anyone. And Jesus even went to the extent to say, uh, love your neighbor and love your enemy. And we need to think about that in our lives each and every day. Abraham, I believe, was a good lover of his neighbor, Abimelech. They had a good friendship relationship that Abimelech could come and say, hey, you know what? I want in on this blessing. Verse 25 goes on, it says, and again, a nebulous type word. When, is this at the, you know, are they sitting down having dinner and discussing these things? We're not told the context. When Abraham reproved, and it's the idea of rebuked them. He rebuked Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. This is the idea that they took it over with some hostile actions. It wasn't just like, hey guys, get out of here. It was like the hood came into town and said, guys, this is our well. You guys leave or there's going to be damage done. I mean, it was really that type of a scenario. They were like, you know, we're sho they shoved Abraham's servants right away from that well and said, this is our well. This is not your well. Get out of here. And so Abraham brings this up to Abimelech, and he, he kind of rebukes Abimelech for it. You know, <clears throat> I find it fascinating. He, he's rebuked right after this whole, treat me kindly and all this nice stuff. Now all of a sudden Abraham says, uh, I got an issue with you. And we got to talk about it right now. Verse 26, Abimelech says, I don't know who's done this thing. You didn't even tell me about it. Why didn't you bring this up before? You know, you, you've had that, you know, hey, have you been holding this? Don't hold this back from me. He said, I I've not even heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. First we have verse 24. We have Abraham. He he's swearing. He's making an agreement. Okay, I'll treat your family well. Now we have another covenant going on. I find this one very fascinating. And here again, we're not told what's going on. Abraham says, your guys did me wrong. Tell you what I'll do about it. Bimlet claimed innocence. We don't know whether he knew about it or not. We have no idea. But look at what Abraham did. Abraham brought cattle. He brought... What's it say there? He brought cattle. And he says, I'm going to give you cattle and oxen. And he gave them to Abimelech as an agreement. Now, some people say, well, you know, they had to sacrifice and they slaughtered these animals. It doesn't tell us that. Abraham just blessed his friend. He says, I'm going to respect you enough in the fact that you didn't know about this. At least you claim you didn't know about this. I'm going to respect you in this. And I'm going to, we're going to make this relationship right. And Abraham goes the extra mile. And he says, I want to bless you in this way. He doesn't use the word bless there, but when you're given cattle and oxen, you're blessing somebody. That's like pulling out a wad of money and pulling off about $1,000 bills and handing it to them. Say, here, I want to bless you. I'm going to give this to you. I have a friend who raises, who raises uh, 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 dogs, service dogs, to, to help the veterans who deal with PTSD. 
and I was just with him a couple weekends ago, and, and uh, he had 18 dogs in his house. Wow, talk about crazy. Um, you know, not actually in the house, but on the property. Six were in the house, and it was loud. Uh, but there's all these puppies, because he's training these puppies. It takes him 12 months to train these puppies. You know, and, and um, they're, they're very precious to him. You know, he gets, just for a pup, an untrained pup, he gets $4,000. If he trains one for, for uh, one, of our, one of our veterans, it's $12,000 he gets for training a, a, a dog for them. Um, he had, he just had a litter of, se- they just had a litter of seven from a, a new mom that they had there. And, and six of them died the first week. You do the math. Six times 12 is a lot of do, re, mi. All right? Uh, Abraham is, is giving up of his flock. He's giving something that's extremely valuable because he believes in this relationship. You know, God sometimes calls us to go the extra mile in our relationships, doesn't he? I always like it when I, I deal with a husband and wife. You know, you got the wife talking to you and then you got the husband talking to you. Two different stories, usually. You know, they're struggling. Things aren't going right. You know, and if he would just act this way or she would just act this way, I can't believe, you know, she's following Jesus. She does all these Bible studies and he's up there doing it. He preaches. That could come against me. He preaches and all this, but boy, the way he lives, you know, and all of a sudden you're sitting there listening to this and, and I like to look at whoever's talking to me at that particular time and I said, well, you just be the more mature one. Boy, is that quite a conversation down real fast? Because they're standing there whining to me about the, the part. He's going like, well, you just be the more mature one. If you think you're the more mature one, just be that. That's okay. You can do that. Well, that's what Abraham did. Abraham says, you know what? I, I don't know all the details on this. I don't know how much Abimelech know, knew. But he said, I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to give above what maybe I even need to give. I shouldn't, maybe I don't even need to give anything. But he goes, I'm going to give. And I'm going to establish that, that this was a wrong that his men did to me and my servants, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this back to him. We're going to make an agreement here. And then Abraham sweetens the pot a little bit because Abraham takes a bold next step. Verse 28 says, Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? It's the idea that he, he, he's making an extremely bold statement with these seven ewe lambs. Because Abimelech, he kind of got the other ones, maybe, the cattle and the oxen. This is, a, this is even a step further that Abraham is taking. He's taking these seven ewe lambs and he's setting them apart. And it's the idea that, that this, is like a, this is almost like he built a monument. Like he built, he took seven ewe lambs and he, you know, he put three on the bottom and he put two more on top. You know, he's stacking them up. He's making this like, this is a huge statement. This is like building a tower and saying, I want you to see what I'm doing here. This is like pulling out, you know, and, you know, the old games. I guess they still have these games. So I watched them as a kid where, you know, behind door number one, door number two, door number three, you know what, and you open it up and behind this one door is like this huge thing that you could win. Well, for, for Abimelech, this is huge. What, what, seven ewe lambs? Abraham says, yeah, these are seven ewe lambs. And he goes, I'm setting this up before you. I'm bringing it out. Abimelech doesn't get it. Verse 30 says, though, and he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, for Abraham, that I dug the well. Think about that. Why? What's the big deal about a well? 
you're in a land that doesn't have any rivers running through it right where they are. There's no fresh water source there. Wells are a big deal. In fact, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? As you look through, I, I, you could do a study on this. I did a little bit this week, looking through the scripture and how often things happened at wells. Wells are gathering places. Wells are places that people come that, that, that they're thirsty. In fact, without water, we don't have life, right? So water is, is essential for the growing of plants. Water is essential for the, the watering of our cattle. But water is essential for your life and my life. Wells are critical. And Abraham saw the value of this well. And this well that would bring life to his family. This well that would bring life into his household. This well that would be established for him. And he, that would be his and his family's for generations to come. He needed to make a statement that this is my well. And so he brings out these seven ewe lambs. That could produce many, 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 many more lambs for Abimelech. And he says, I'm going to give you. A second generous gift that's way beyond. And as you take it from my hand, see how he said that? As he, you take it from my land, my hand, you are saying these wells are mine. And it'll be a witness. It'll be a testimony. It'll stand up like a, like a monument that stands up. It'll stand up erect and it will say, this is a testament and a testimony to that these are Abraham's wells. Wells are critical, aren't they? When you think about it. I think about one of my favorite stories in Scripture is in John chapter 4. Where Jesus sits down at the well of Samaria and the Samaritan woman comes out. And they start having a conversation. And Jesus says, well, you know what? You, you could have living water. She goes, you mean it don't have to come get a drink here anymore? You see, she saw the value of this well, but she had to keep coming back to get a drink. And no, Jesus is speaking of himself. He goes, I'm going to I can provide you living water so that you will never die. And he's talking about the eternal life that he offers into our lives. And here we have these wells. And Abraham's saying, I, I, I want this well to be established that this is my well. This is significant. This is where I will establish my home. This is where I'll establish my family. This is where I'll establish my people. This is where we will grow for generations to come out of this well. One well. And all of this will come about. This great nation comes out of this one well. And he has all these seven ewes. I don't know if they were on reins or leashes or if they were just being herded along. And he says, I'm going to put them into your hand, Abimelech, as a testimony. As a testimony that this well is mine. You see, this well was so valuable to Abraham that he was willing to give so much to provide life for his family. There's a parallel there for us, isn't it, in the New Testament? As we come to the Lord himself. God so loved us that he was willing to give Jesus, his only begotten son, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins, to provide this living water so that we will never thirst again. Jesus is providing that for us. And here, this is the, this is the beginning of, 
of fulfilling the promises that were to come about. This is the beginning of this promised land that Abraham had been promised back in, in Genesis chapter 15. This is the first stake of claim, just like a, the, the gold miners that, that they rushed out west and they rushed up into the Yukon to, to stake their claim on this piece of land to try to find gold. Abraham says, this is my claim. I want to put my stake here. I'm giving you these seven ewe lambs and we're going to have an agreement now that this well is mine because it's so valuable to me it's the same way that Jesus talks to us and says you know what the guy that finds the pearl in the field he buries it back covers it back over he goes back he sells all he's had and he goes out to buy the field because the pearl of great price is in that field and he wants the wealth that's there it's the same way for us in our relationship with Jesus Jesus wanted a relationship with us so much that he said I'm going to go the whole way and die on the cross you know, Jesus could have died at a ripe old age and it wouldn't have paid for your sin or mine. He had to go as a sacrifice. And he did, had to die on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we can have new life. So that we can drink of the living water as scripture talks about it. This spiritual living water that gives our spirit newness of life. That takes us from the, the old and gives us the new life that we can only find in Jesus Christ. And Abraham says, you know what? I'm shoving it all over here. Because I want you to, I want to establish that this is my well. Brian, as he told me about the series and sent me an email about this series, he says, Scott, I want you, he says, we're, we're making sure that we understand the passages in Genesis in light of who were the first readers, who were the first hearers of the words of Genesis. I never thought about that before. I never thought about who were the first readers of Genesis. We read Genesis and it's this nice narrative type thing that we read through and we kind of think the hearers are the people who are in the story. Only as I began to think about it is that Moses wrote this. Moses wrote this after being Israel had been 400 years in captivity in Egypt after going out of Egypt and being brought out of Egypt and rescued out of Egypt, then they're heading towards this promised land that God had promised them someday. They were going to get, enter into this promised land and, and this land that was their inheritance. Uh, and so the original readers, because of Moses wrote this, Moses died before they went into the promised land. Moses never entered the promised land. So here we have all these Israelites who are hearing for the first time this story, uh, and maybe it's been told down through, but Moses records it down because he wants them to understand this, that this is the first stake in the ground for the promised land that God, has given, God promised to Abraham and to his descendants forever. What's interesting is, as we read further on, it says that the name of this place in verse 31, it says, therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. And so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. It was called Beersheba. And as we think about that, when, when, when they were entering the promised land, the promised land was described to them from the city of Dan, which is up in the north, to the city of Beersheba, the southern border. By Abraham purchasing this first plot of ground, this first place he could call home in a promised land. This first little bit of land that was to fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. He staked that claim that would be used for generations to come as the southern border of the land of Israel. 
and to save from Dan to Beersheba. This is, and all of a sudden, Israelites are going, oh, Beersheba? The well of oaths? The well of seven, it could also be understood because of the seven ewe lambs. There's a play on words in the language of the scriptures that it was written in. Oath and seven are it's sort of like a, a word play going on there. And so it's, it's, it's this well of oaths that their father Abraham had made to establish the land. And all of a sudden they're going like, wow, this isn't just some thought that Moses has. But this is what God has been establishing and working on all along. And we now get to go in and to possess this promised land that was promised hundreds of years ago to our father Abraham. It's amazing how God is the God who continues to fulfill his promises along the way. Verse 33 says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. He plants this tree, tamarisk tree. Tamarisk tree is, I've read about them a little bit because that isn't a common tree that we have. But the most common thing, and it's sort of of the family of the evergreen tree. It can grow up to 80, 90 feet in height, it said. You know, it can just begin small, but it can grow really high, and it bushes out really big, and, and it provides shade. They were almost like landmark-type trees. It's, it's kind of interesting why Abraham planted this tree there next to this well. He planted this tree there, and it became a landmark tree growing up and spreading out and providing shade and cover. People would often sit under tamarisk trees. Maybe, maybe that's where we would have church in that day and age. You know, you'd meet under the tamarisk tree. In fact, that's what Abraham did. That's where he, he sat next to this well and it says there he planted this tree and he called on the name of the Lord. It was a place of worship for Abraham. This was his place of worship for him and his family was right there at that tamarisk tree. And that tamarisk tree for generations, they grow and they become extremely old and they, they rarely die. They just are a tree that keeps growing and growing and getting more massive and massive and just covering and they become this, this landmark in the area. And Abraham plants this tree there. Why? He wants people to not forget what took place at the well of oaths. This is where God began to give the glimpse of the promise of the land that he was going to provide for the nation of Israel. And because that land would be provided, eventually a Savior would come from that land. And that Savior would be Jesus who would be redeemed, who would be the ultimate sacrifice that God would give for the salvation of the world next to a tamarisk tree. As I think of that, it reminds me of another tree that was planted on a hill some 2,000 years ago. Oh, it was dead wood at that particular point in time. In fact, it was made into a cruel Roman cross. We talk about Anyone that's hung in a tree, Scripture talks about, is disgraced. And that's where Jesus hung for you and for me. But that old rugged cross, as we call it, is a tree that was a stake in the ground to say, I've paid the price. I've paid the ultimate price. I've paid the self-sacrificial price because it cost the life of Jesus. And I've paid it so you can have life. Because I'm the ultimate well. Because I'm the spiritual well that only, the only well that people can get true spiritual life from. And I'm that tree that's planted. And we remember that tree, don't we? 
Some of you probably have a cross necklace or bracelet or something on today. We see a cross and it reminds us, whether it's on a church steeple or on the cover of your Bible, it reminds us of a tree that was planted on a hill to say, I'm claiming this land. And Jesus says, I'm claiming your life if you just put your faith and trust in me. But it doesn't end there. And I'll close with these two thoughts, maybe three thoughts. It's simply this. It doesn't stop with you and me. The name of this church, help me out. Let's say it like we mean it, guys. The name of this church, we don't have to be so pious here. Come on. The name of this church is what? Stream Song. Stream All right? What's that speak of? Stream. Living water. God is planting you here. You have put another little mini stake in the ground here in Doylestown. So that you can bring life to this door. Not because through you, God will use you to bring life to this Doylestown and surrounding communities. It will step into the lives of people in this senior center and beyond. It will step into the lives of people that God puts in your life each and every day. Why? Because he, the living water has been put in you. As God crossed over into our lives... He went from the amazing riches of heaven and he became a nomad in this land, didn't he? He wandered around. He says, I, I don't even have a place to lay my head. He became a friend of sinners and then he became the ultimate well of living water to bring spiritual life to each and every one of us. We as believers and followers of Jesus, Scripture says that we are now foreigners and strangers in this land. And he calls us to continue to build bridges into the lives of unbelievers, people who are thirsty and hungry and don't even know they're thirsty and hungry. He tells us that we are to offer this living water into people's lives. In Matthew chapter 25, there's the, the story of what we know, the story of the sheep and the goats, where it's the end time judgment it's talking about, and mankind is standing before God and and, and they separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And he says to the sheep, Come into my kingdom. Come, be a part of my kingdom. For he says, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. And they said, Well, Father, when did we ever do that to you? Jesus, when did we ever do that to you? And he says, As you've done it to the least of these. You've done it to me. You see, God calls us to help other people cross over into this new life. That's why he's put us here. That's why it's not just here for fun and games. This is real life and death. We've had friends this past week who have lost loved ones, five or six of them, just this week. Some young, some old. Some they were waiting to die. Others unexpected. People pass from this life to the next every minute of every day. And God says to us, hey, I want you to be sharing that living water with the people who are going to cross over from 
this life to the next life. And they need to be crossing over with me holding their hand. With me being their guide. As Jesus said, with me being the way to the Father. And so as we think about that this morning, Jesus said these words in John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God has called each and every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ, to allow his living water to flow out of our lives into the lives of others. I love how that passage says it. It says, out of our hearts will flow rivers. Rivers don't flow that way. If you've ever heard me teach on that passage, rivers don't flow that way. It's usually many tributaries come together and make a forceful river. This is the reverse. God always reverses things, doesn't he, in his kingdom? This is the reverse. Out of our hearts, out of our lives, through the Holy Spirit will flow living water into the lives of many around us. And we are able to give sips of water into the thirsty around us who need to know that there's a Savior. When you trusted Christ, you put a stake in the ground. When you trusted Christ, God put His Holy Spirit in you. And He says, I want out of you to flow rivers of living water to bring life to those around. So just like Abraham, people say, I, I don't get it about you. But I see your, God's with you. I want a little bit of that. Can we have an agreement? Just like Abraham, who was taken advantage of maybe, was wrongfully treated. What was his response? Generosity. He not only gave cattle and oxen, he gave seven more ewes. But Abraham put that stake in the ground because he believed what God was doing in his life. He says, this well is mine now. And from this well, a nation is going to grow. From that new life that God's put in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ, it will grow into the lives of many that you and I will touch as we live the rest of our lives. Let's go out and be wells that people want to drink from because they see that we are living by the Spirit of God and that God is with us. We have crossed over. Now let's help others to cross over to that life that they can have in Christ. Let's pray.